I want to encourage you this morning as we turn our hearts to God's word that the Lord that I serve, the one that we worship, the one that we just sang about a few minutes ago and sang to is a God who knows our deepest needs. Now, now when it comes to like needs, it's funny to talk about needs on Thanksgiving week. I'm guessing for some of you, you're already pre-anticipating certain foods that you're going to eat this week, right? Uh, some of you, you have your list of things that you have to eat, right? Uh, and for some of you, you have those things that you're going to intentionally avoid. Um, the, the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today fascinates me because it's a story that happened. It was an event that took place historically where the Lord Jesus was with a group of people that had a need and he was only, not only aware of it, but he supernaturally met that need in a way that left them in shock and awe of his goodness. And this morning, I want to gently remind you of the fact that the Lord knows our deepest needs. He is truly a good father. Uh, when, I, when my daughters were younger, um, when they were infants, um, there was an event that happened just a handful of times, but uh, one of them would be that uh, I learned something about my wife, and um, she can testify to this. You can ask her afterwards, but uh, we could have the pack and play with one of our daughters in the room with us, and they could be screaming at the top of their lungs, and I could sleep right through it. No problem, right? Um, but, but if we were maybe visiting someone's home and one of our girls was in another room, they could be like two stories away, six bedrooms over. Uh, one of them could cry and she could wake up out of a dead sleep because of the way that God wired her. And um, just about one out of a thousand of those times, my wife would elbow me and say, it's your turn, all right? So uh, you go take care of the baby. So, uh, so I'd get up and kind of half asleep groggy walk over and uh, change the diaper. And then um, after that, as, as she, the, my daughter's still crying and screaming, uh, recognize that she needs something else. So go to the refrigerator, get out a T-bone steak, uh, maybe some mashed potatoes and broccoli and prepare a nice dinner. What? What? You, you know that I would never do that, right? Because of the recognition and awareness of what she needs. I want you to recognize this this morning as we turn our hearts to the Lord's word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, we're going to hear a story, an event that historically took place where the Lord Jesus, for those of you who are believers in Christ, there are going to be things that you can relate to here. Because the Lord Jesus was ministering, he was tired, um, there was a group of people around him that we're guessing were closer to some 20,000 people that were around Jesus. For many of them, they were excited about what Jesus was doing. He had been performing miracles where people were blind and they could see. There were people who were sick and who were healed. There were these, these spect I think it was, it, was, it was a show for some people and they were like, we want more of that. And so there's a group of people who found Jesus. They're gathering around him. They like the show. They're watching it. And then Jesus looks over to his disciples, the guys that were leaders that were helping. They were growing in their faith. Some of them were on a journey like many of us. And he asks them a question, basically, specifically to one of them. His name's Philip. He says, Philip, uh, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? And we're going to talk about Philip's response. And then Andrew, another one of the disciples' responses, and the others. And, and what we're going to see today is the disciples, those who are with Jesus at this stage in their ministry, were a little bit more like, this is impossible. They, they, they pulled out their calculators. They did the math. 
And they said, we simply do not have what it takes to feed these people. And so in the other gospels, other than this, this book of John, we're going to see them basically say, yeah, let's let them go, go solve their problem. You guys know the phrase like uh, um, improper planning on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on mine. You guys have heard that before. I, like, I think that that was the mindset that they had. This is someone else's problem. But Jesus did something with them, and I think you're going to enjoy seeing this today in his word, is that he taught them, when you bring to me your, your little things, in this case, it'll be fishes and loaves. Some of you know the story. You bring them to me, and I can take the little things, the humble things that you have, and actually, I can do something quite incredible with them. But it's so essential this morning that we don't miss this, that Jesus wasn't just talking about filling their, their bellies and the fact that he's saying like, he's, he's like the constant Panera, you know? That Jesus isn't claiming to be their source of bread, but he actually claims later in the book of John to be the bread of life. And we talk, we're gonna to talk today about the gospel in that way. And we're gonna say that the gospel is this Jesus's recognition that like those who are baptized today, that, that he's the most important thing about us. He died on the cross for our sins. We can place our faith and trust in him. And we can accept the gift of living bread that he's offered for us. So if you stick with me this morning, I'm going to encourage you to do so. I want you to recognize that he is a good father. He knows your most intimate, personal, difficult needs in your life. And not only is he aware of them, he doesn't ignore them, but he has provided for us what we need to meet those needs. I also want to remind those of you who are part of the Hope Church family that we believe as leaders at Hope Church that God is calling us to commit to growing deeper personally in our faith. I want you to see this image of a deep tree. When you, when you leave Hope Church today, there's this giant oak that's on the backside of our property that, that this tree reminds me of. And if we could do an x-ray of, of the roots that are underneath it, we recognize that those roots on that oak tree have grown deep and they're gathering the nutrients that it needs for it to grow. We believe that the Lord has asked us to be people who take our faith seriously. And we've committed ourselves to growing in discipleship and studying God's word, as was said earlier. But we also recognize that the Lord has called us into a community that's surrounded by 40,000 some people that, that have real tangible needs and that our recognition is whether it's a house fire that takes everything that someone has or someone struggling with addiction or discouraged and doesn't know what tomorrow's going to look like, anxiety, fear, that, that we believe that God's asked us to be people who have a wide influence in our community, partially because of the fact that we believe that there are some people who are dying around us that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. And that's a, that's a burden for us. That's something we take very seriously because we have seen the work that Christ has done in our life. I think it's appropriate to recognize that it's easy for us, first point this morning, to underestimate God's ability to meet needs. If you want to pick up with me in John chapter 6, I'm going to read from the ESV version. Um, beginning in chapter 1, we're going to see this story. It says this, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. This is um, a, a beautiful place still to this day. You can visit this area where they believe this took place. It overlooks the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. And there was a large crowd that was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing um, on the sick. And that's what I mentioned earlier. They're seeing God do, Jesus do these miraculous things. And so Jesus goes up on the mountain 
And there he sat down with his disciples. And now, verse 4 says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now, I want you to catch a couple of details that are important. So, so Jesus, for those of us who are attempting to be disciples of Christ, to grow in our walk with him, it's important to understand that that comes at a cost. Jesus was actually quite exhausted. We know from the other gospels that he had just heard news that John the Baptist had been beheaded in, in a, what would have been a tragedy or a painful experience. That he, he's got a heavy heart. He's exhausted from ministry. The disciples are just coming back from a really meaningful time of ministry. And so in their tiredness, I think they were looking for a little vacation. And what they end up experiencing is thousands of people that are around them that want to hear the message of Christ and see, for some of them, the spectacle of Christ. And so when it says after this and Jesus is going away, it's important to note that this kind of ministry that God's asking us to be a part of does at times come at a cost. But this phrase that the Passover, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand, uh, that sentence is included here by John on purpose. And I think this is important for those of us who've studied God's word. We remember that the exodus that took place in the Old Testament in, in, the, in Israel was a time period where the Lord set God's people free from enslavement by Pharaoh in Egypt, and he allowed people to experience his miraculous provision. One of them was the Red Sea walking on dry land. Another was manna that God provided from heaven. I want us to not ignore this as we study this passage, is that, is that God wants us to remember the times in our past that he has provided for us miraculously. So, so, so this is the time of Passover. Jesus, the master teacher, uh, is completely aware of this fact. And then in verse 5, it says, this is something I love about the Lord that I worship and praise. It says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him. Jesus didn't say, hey, get rid of these people. I don't want to interact with them. I'm tired. I've just gotten bad news. Instead, he said to them that he wants to know how he can meet one of their physical needs. I have in my notes just a big exclamation point after the word wow. And the reason why this shocks me is the God of the universe is a God that's aware of my basic needs. I think it's important for us to not ignore the fact that his awareness of their hunger is something that has been consistent with the other ways I've interacted with the God of the universe. He's, he's aware of my fear. He's aware of my diagnosis. He's aware of the things that discourage me. He's aware of my recognition that I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. And I just encourage you, brothers and sisters, this morning that the God that says that he knows the numbers of the hairs on our heads, he knows the deepest fears of our life. And here he's going to meet a surface appetite that the, that the individuals that were coming to see um, wanted, but he's also going to offer to them the opportunity to experience his grace and his forgiveness in a special way. So then Jesus tests one of his disciples. Now remember, the disciples are following Jesus. They're students. Um, what we know about this first guy, Philip, that's going to show up is that Philip actually grew up in the neighborhood where this um, declaration is being given. The, he's near the Sea of Galilee, the, the largest town close by. So he knew where Panera was located, right? Uh, or Chick-fil-A, whatever. Um, so he, he knew where the food was available, potentially, the Agora, the market that would have been close by in those days. And I think Jesus is asking him that question on purpose 
Um, and, and in fact, it says that in the biblical text. But I, I think that it's important to understand that Philip did something that's common for some of us. And that is in the light of a need of someone else, he started counting the cost. He's doing the math. He's pulling out his cal- calculator, slide rule, whatever he would, would have had in those days. And he's trying to figure out how much would it cost to try to buy bread for 10,000 people. And he was overwhelmed by it. And basically the conclusion that he makes is this is impossible. So in the text, it says, Jesus says, where are we going to buy bread so that these people can eat? And then Philip says to him, and Jesus said to test him is what the text says, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what was about to happen. But, but he wanted Philip to recognize that Jesus is the source of life. Philip answered him. He says, 200 denarii, that would have been, a denarii would have been about a day's uh, wages for a, a common worker. So 200 days wages times, uh, a day's wage times 200, that wouldn't even cover the cost, which I'm guessing he's probably looking at his wallet or uh, the disciples' funds, and he's like, we don't, we don't have it. So Jesus says this to test him. He looks at this number, 200 denarii wouldn't be enough for each of them to even get a bite or just a little. So, so the wrong answer that he gives, I think here, is to assume that money is the solution of their situation. Sometimes money is what people need. But, but I think what Jesus wanted to do with him was to remind him, like the Exodus, that you find your deepest needs in him, in the Lord. That's how you find your deepest needs. It's not just in the surface things that others depend on. So we assume, they assumed that money was the solution. Then, then we look at another disciple, Andrew. So Andrew, who in the text, verse 8, says that he was Simon Peter's brother, he said to him, hey, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. Uh, and then, you know, so you're like, all right, that's good. We're, we're moving forward here. We've got something. Uh, then he goes on and, and joins Philip in his statement. Ah, but, but what, what are we going to do with this little amount? I, I want us to catch this for those of us who are striving to grow deep in our faith. That, that, that those, those loaves of bread and that fish, well, first, the fish is a little bit easier. Don't think sushi uh, here, raw fish. Think, think about this being more like, like a dried, like fish jerky, okay? And so it's been packed and traveled, or pickled fish, which is really gross to think about, right? So, so let's think about that. So the fish are one thing. Um, seen markets like this, usually with flies all around them, where there's, there's dried fish that are set aside, that are protected, salted, for eating at another time. So we understand the fish, but the, the, the bread is, is quite interesting. So uh, in another text, it says that Jesus broke the bread. And so what it would have had to have been large enough that there was breaking of able to be done. And they were made out of barley, which was interesting. In that time period, if you were wealthy, um, you would have eaten um, bread that was made with flour or grains that would have been ground, but, but the barley was usually set aside for the animals. So it's a humble bread. This wasn't for the fancy people. This was basic, but it's also important to understand that probably five loaves, unless he's a really big eater, this kid probably didn't need five loaves, right? And, and so probably what I'm guessing, I'm using my sanctified imagination here, is that probably he was there with some level of selling or intent to give these away. So, so as the kid comes up, we just know, like literally it says he's a lad, a small boy. 
that, that he comes up and they find these five loaves, two fishes, and, um, and, and, they, and then he gives them up to, to Andrew. So Andrew has these things. Now, now, you guys, we live in a capitalistic society, right? Uh, we understand the concept of supply and demand, right? Uh, th- this, this carried with it, this lunch that he had carried with it some value, right? Can you imagine him standing up? We're going to auction off my, my bread today. You know, who's got the highest bidder and can I see? But, so, so there was value in it. But, but he decided, the boy teaches us a lesson. He decided to say, I'm going to give up my value. Maybe even wondering if he would be able to share his own lunch that day. I'm going to give up my value into the hands of the Savior of the world and see what happens. I want to encourage you, for those of you who are Christ followers, that that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be people who leave the results in the hands of the Lord. We put our best into his hands and stand back in awe of his provision and goodness. And I just just see that this is... This is so profound to see it play out in this way. That, that here, um, instead of, of abdicating the responsibility to someone else, um, what, what ended up happening was that this, this, this gathering of the, the lunch was going to be in the hands of the Savior, something that was going to miraculously meet the needs of others. I think it's common for us to do what I think the disciples did here. And that was to abdicate the responsibility that this is somebody else's job to solve this problem. Uh, Kent Hughes um, puts it this way. He says, the disciples' problem was that they had grossly underestimated their wealth. They thought that all they had was just five loaves and two fish. They had forgotten that they were with the Lord. They had seen him change water into wine. They had seen people miraculously healed, even from long distances. So why didn't they understand that Christ could do in this particular situation great things with something so small? And I love this phrase. They had a defective view of Christ. That was their real problem. And very often, this is the root of our problem. That we underestimate what God can do on our behalf. We underestimate what it means to give him everything that we have. And in this context, we know from the other gospels that the disciples, in a way, said that this is them. Let's, let's send them home. Let them fend for themselves. I think it's important for us to note the second point this morning is that I believe that the gospel, that the Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he loved us so much to provide the sacrifice to cover a and atone for the sins of our life, that, that that meets the greatest, deepest needs of our life. And, and here, the surface need that Jesus meets is the need for lunch. Verse 10, it says this, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And again, with the other families that were around them, probably was about 20,000 people. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, so also the fish. And this last sentence, is, or last phrase, is, is as much as they wanted. So we, we don't know how this worked. There's lots of commentary about how this multiplication took place, but, but this is what I know, is that those who were serving as disciples, they were, there's 12 of them, and they're, they're going to now, because God does this miracle, Jesus does this incredible work 
I mean, he prays and blesses the bread and the fish and then it's multiplied. And so they have these baskets and they take their basket and they distribute it to people. Then as they're distributing it, people are eating to their fill, which I'm guessing wasn't that common in that time period. So they're enjoying this meal together. There's a party that's happening. And what we're gonna see in the text, this part is so encouraging to me, is that what ended up happening is that there were 12 full baskets left over. The reason why that's so meaningful to me is I think that it's an image that the Lord wants for those of us who want to serve him in our life is that we trust him with the small stuff, what we have in our hands. We, we trust him with the things, even if they're humble, humbled things like, like this kind of bread. And we, we give him our best. We trust him that he can do incredible things with it. And then we get to stand back and watch him do it. And in this context, we realize that God knows how to give good things to those who serve him. I think that's what we get to see as this plays out. And I'll just remind you some things about my God, that God can meet our deepest needs. He cares about what we care about. I also think that it's understandable or helpful for us to remember that God understands how to satisfy the deepest appetites of our life. So, so we as a church family, one of the things that we're committing ourselves to is to pay attention to the needs of our community, um, to not just stay together in a holy huddle. You guys know, and uh, anybody who watches football, you know that there's that process that you go through sometimes if you're not in a hurry up offense where you huddle together and then the, the quarterback or someone calls the play and they discuss it. Uh, and then they break, and then they go to the line. Now, what, what I'm afraid of that happens sometimes in church contexts is that we, we are in that holy huddle, that, that spiritual time of connection together deep in, our, in the planning of what's next, but we don't break from it and then intentionally pursue the needs of those who are around us. And I think that that is one of the things that God's asking us to do more of as a church family is to recognize the needs of people who live in Brunswick to recognize the, the value of our neighbors, to recognize that, that the gospel can change their lives like it's impacted ours. Amen? Uh, that, that the gospel is the only hope of the world that's around us. You see, the gospel is truly the only hope of the world. And I, I think it's important for us to recognize the things that people are constantly trying to use to satisfy or to distract themselves from the burdens of life. They're never enough. C.S. Lewis who had a time period in his life where he was an agnostic or an atheist, um, he uh, at one point had said this about the things that distract you. He says, the most exquisite meal after you're done with it, it still leaves you hungry the next day, right? Um, we, all, we all know that Black Friday's coming, right, this week, and you're going to overeat on Thursday. And guess what? You're going to be hungry again on Friday, Right? That, that the, the realities, the best things, the nicest things that we have, that we acquire, they don't, they don't satisfy. He goes on to say, I can't find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. That's a, that's a, a PhD scholar. That's a British man who loves his tea. Uh, and I think we can relate to that, right? That there's nothing that can satisfy from this world the deepest longings and desires of our life except for the one who would call himself the very bread of life. Later in John chapter six, Jesus said to those who were listening to him, says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
In other words, he's saying to them, I am the gospel. I'm the the living word. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so what we know from the text later in verse 15 is it says that literally the people tried to capture Jesus and make him their king. Uh, And I think the part of the reason why they like this, they're like, we like free Panera. We do. Uh, we, We like lunch. In fact, what I think that they were saying when they went to do this is they were saying, we like him to be the king of our country, um, but, but what they were not saying yet is that we're ready for him to be the king of our hearts. And I think that that's what Jesus is demanding or asking of his people that follow him to allow him to be in charge of their life. Uh, the third point this morning is Jesus expects his followers, this is his expectation, to give him what they have and to watch him change the world. And I'll just say, in my own life, uh, that has been one of the greatest joys in my life. At, time, at times of, of small sacrifice, um, to, to be able to give him the small things that I have in my life and watch him do mighty things to bring himself glory and honor. Verse 12 goes on to say this. This is great. So when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, hey, go gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, this is a really important phrase here, uh, that this is one of the signs recorded in John that tells us that Jesus is the Messiah, the hope of the world, our Savior. So here they see the sign um, and, um, when, and they said, de- they declared publicly, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, Jesus is so much more than just a prophet. They're still trying to understand who Jesus is. But I want us to catch this this morning. So, so somebody has said that it is not the bread of life until you eat it. Uh, it is not the thing that quenches your thirst until you receive it. Um, this is a part of the, the phrase in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, the recognition and acceptance of Christ is essential. And I think that there's something with this, this gift and the provision of the living bread that helps us to understand. He wants us to entrust ourselves into his care. Warren Wearsby, who has a powerful gift of using words, he says this, the practical lesson of this passage of scripture is clear. Whenever there is a need, give all that you have to the Lord, to Jesus, and let him do the rest. Begin with what you have, but be sure to give it all to him. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, anything that you take away from self and give to Christ is well invested. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband died on the mission field, a woman who's written powerfully. This is an extended quotation, but I want you to just hear. Some of you are, are still saying, well, what do I have to give? What, what, do I, what do I have to offer the Lord? It says this, do you believe God is big enough for your problem? Nothing much can happen if you do not. You need to have a correct concept of him. Then you must surrender your deficiency to him. Uh, she says this powerfully when she says that there is, our, our nothing is something that we can share. If the only thing that you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer a broken heart. 
So in the time of grief, the recognition that this is material for sacrifice has been, the very, um, has been a very great strength for me. She says, realizing that nothing I have, nothing I am will be refused on the part of Christ. I simply give it to him as the little boy who gives Jesus his five loaves and two fish with the same feeling of the disciples when they said, what is the good of that for such a crowd? Naturally, in almost anything I offer to Christ, my reaction would be, what is the good of that? But the point is, the use he makes of it is none of my business. It is his business. It is his blessing. So this grief, this loss, this suffering, this pain, whatever it is, which at the moment is God's means of testing my faith, and bringing me to the recognition of who he is, that is the thing that I can offer him. Do you have nothing to give? Then give that. Your nothing plus God is everything. Now, now let's just make this a little bit more real in our life. In times of uncertainty, in times where we don't know what tomorrow's gonna look like, uh, we have the tendency to hold on to things for ourselves. So I'm guessing, if you go back to Andrew and he's aware of the five loaves and the two fish, that there maybe was just a thought that crossed his mind and said, well, maybe we need to keep this for, for the disciples or maybe we need to keep this for Jesus. Maybe we need to hold on. Some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. Hey, you hoarded toilet paper a couple of years ago, didn't you? Uh, I had the, like these giant containers of rice at our house. I think that was like during all the stuff that was going on with COVID. It wasn't quite to like Y2K levels in our household. But, but we recognize in times of, of like not knowing what next year is going to hold, that we have a natural tendency to say, yeah, I'll just be a little more conservative. I'm going to hold on to the resources that I've been given. And, and I want to challenge you in that. that. That we're not just talking about financial wealth. We're talking about experiences and pain. We're talking about time and ministry. We're talking about convictions and sharing God's love to those who are around you. I think that really we need to be people who are saying, Lord, I trust whatever I have, the little bit that I have, and trust that you can do mighty things with it. You know, Jesus is greater than our greatest needs. And I think it's interesting to me that Jesus definitely knows how to give good gifts to those who follow him. I've experienced that in my own life. Sometimes it's not in my timing. Sometimes it's not the way that I expected him to do it, but I can just tell you when I read about 12 baskets left over, that in my life I've experienced that blessing. And I think he had a lesson for those 12 disciples. He wanted them to recognize that he is the ultimate source of everything for them. So as we attempt to apply this message this morning, just want to remind you a few things that that he knows your needs and he cares about them and he can meet them. Uh, I want to warn you against the temptation to see the needs of others as being just their struggle, their circumstance, or to desire to have a vending machine version of God that, that we say we want him to be the one who provides the meal for us, but we don't want the rest of the message that he has for us. I don't, I don't think that that's appropriate. In fact, uh, I think the way Spurgeon puts it, he says, an unappropriated Christ is no Christ to any man. Bread which is not eaten will not stay or feed our hunger. The water in the cup may sparkle like the purest crystal, but it cannot calm the thirst unless we drink it. To get a personal hold of the Savior is the main thing. And this is the question. The question for each and every one of us is how is this to be done? 
And so I want to challenge you in this. I want to challenge you to recognize your own needs that you have in your life and to set them at the feet of the Lord. I also want to challenge you to consider what blessings have the Lord provided for you and what is it that he's asking for you to do in investing those into his hands and allowing him to do mighty things with them. I'm going to be very practical for a few minutes here. There's this wonderful passage as we anticipate Thanksgiving. For some of us, we recognize that we're going to be around family members. Some of them are going to be different than us, maybe hold different views than we hold. Um, there's, for some of us, some anxiety that surrounds uh, family times together. For some of us, uh, we're going to experience that more than likely this next week. And I want to remind you of this wonderful passage of Scripture. And I'm going to challenge you, for those of you who've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that have tasted the living water that we've been talking about, that this passage reminds us that we ought to be steadfast in praying that God does a mighty thing. We ought to be aware of the fact that when he does things, that we are prepared to give an answer to those individuals that have questions around us. One of, one of a, a church family member said to me the other day that she has the tendency to be a little salty. Uh, and I think she was meaning that she has the way to say sharp words, which I thought was funny. Um, that's not what we're supposed to be doing here when it says to be salty. Think more like salt on your French fries or making things taste better, right? Like that, that there's, there's something appealing about it. Uh, sweeten, sweeten it up if you can. And I'm gonna challenge you. Um, this is a bold prayer. In fact, I'm going to say that this prayer is not for wimps, actually. Um, this prayer is one that requires us to stand back and say, Lord, I'm going, to, I'm going to trust even the time that I have with people who maybe don't always agree with me uh, into your care and to ask you to do a mighty thing. I think if we do this, we're going to see individually an influence that's increased through our obedience to the Lord. Listen to these words. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. When he says be watchful, he's just saying expect God to do something. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. So Paul, when he penned this, was in prison because of the gospel. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. The, the clarity of the gospel is important. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I think uh, that, is, that is the prayer that I have as we anticipate looking around us and seeing that there may be people who sit at our table that don't share the same values that we do, that may not have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They may not know that he created them on purpose and for a purpose and I think that if they see in us a winsomeness, a graciousness, a kindness, and an awareness of their needs, they're going to see in us the very attribute of Jesus that we saw in John chapter 6, right? He's aware that there's needs. Um, he's actually a part of solving those needs. And he is desirous to meet the deepest need that every person has in their life. I'll tell you, people who do that, they don't underestimate the gospel. But when we underestimate the gospel, we miss out on recognizing the great, powerful, miraculous, mighty things that he can do. And I'll be the first to stand up and say that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. That's what I think it means for us to be people who recognize his faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Um, I think that's what he's asking for us to be 
And I think when we do that, we get to see his mighty hand at work. I'm going to invite you to stand together with me. Uh, We're going to close out our time in worship, and we're going to pray together. Um, I'm going to ask you to um, personally, individually ask how the Lord wants you to respond to this. We're also going to, as we praise the Lord and close out our time together with the worship team, the ushers are going to come forward and pass the offering plates. And this is a time for those of you who are part of our church family to worship in your giving of him, of your, to him of your first fruits, your best. Um, and, and, and it's a part of our worship because we believe that he deserves what is our best. So let's pray for that. Lord, we love you. And I thank you for the faithfulness that you've, you have, that you, um, I'm so humbled by the fact that you know that I am hungry, that I have needs, that I desire things that I don't have. And And Lord, that you understand the deepest needs of every individual that's in this room. You not only know the numbers of the hairs on their head, you know their fears, their discouragements, their challenges. Um, And Lord, I just celebrate this morning that your grace is sufficient, your power is made perfect in our weakness. I pray that as you receive our tithes and offerings, that they'd be multiplied like the fishes and loaves, that they'd be used um, in the hands of good stewardship to be able to meet the needs of those around us and the needs of our church family. We love you. We thank you and praise you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.